So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 7. We'll be in verses 24 to 37. So Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37. Jesus is for everybody. In 2013, the Christian hip-hop artist named The Truth dropped the hit single, Jesus is for everybody. You see, the song emphasizes the truth that Jesus loves people of all nations and that the gospel is for all people. It's for people of all walks. It is for Jew and Gentile. It is for people in the church and those who are on the street corner. You see, Jesus is for everybody. This hip-hop song, it is super dope. It's one of my favorites. I was jamming that mug this week. And this mug is pretty much just, it's about, it's an urban hip-hop song about evangelism. But it's so true. And this morning, that's what we're going to see in the passage, is that Jesus is for everybody. That he's not just for Jews, but he's for people of all nations. He's for Jews and Gentiles. And so Mark chapter 7, verses 24 to 37, please stand for the reading of God's word. He got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he could not escape notice. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. So he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. Looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately, his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. He ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. They were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You may be seated. And so our big idea for this passage is this, that Jesus saves all who come to him in faith. Our big idea is Jesus saves all who come to him in faith. In our passage, it can be broken up into two scenes. The first scene is we see Jesus commend persistent faith, and the second scene 
Jesus cures the incurable. So Jesus commends persistent faith, and Jesus cures the incurable. First thing, Jesus commends persistent faith. Look at verse 24. It says, he got up and departed from there to the region of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, but he couldn't escape notice. You see, Jesus, he was likely in Gennesaret, and he travels to Tyre after he had a controversial encounter with the religious leaders. And the thing about Tyre is that it is a Gentile region. It is modern-day Lebanon. And Jesus nor his disciples have never been there. But he is well known there. Because the people of Tyre, they came to him in chapter 3. They, it said many people from Tyre came to be healed of demonic possession and of their diseases. And so Jesus, he travels there and is likely for the purpose of rest. And so he is trying to fly under the radar. He wants to go unnoticed like pop stars who try to be incognito when they're on vacation. But the thing is, Jesus is spotted and word spreads. Look at verse 25 and 26. Instead, immediately after hearing about him, a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And so Jesus, he was sought out by a Gentile. She comes and she pleads for him to heal her baby girl. The situation is her daughter. She is demon-possessed. This little girl is being berated, tortured, and tormented by this demon. Now, we don't know how this happened. But we know that these are consequences of sin, whether it's the little girl's own sin or the consequences of living in a fallen world. These things happen. You see, demonic possession, it is a problem for all people. Throughout Mark's gospel, we've seen a number of times Jews be possessed. And in chapter 5 and in this, part, this section right here, we also see Gentiles be possessed by demons. You see, the thing is, the fall has impacted all. No one is exempt from sin and its ramifications. You see, all needs to be saved from sin and its pearl effects. You see, this mother, she is in distress, terrified. She is desperate. Her baby girl is suffering, and there's absolutely nothing that she can do by herself. She can't expel the demon, can't shake the demon out of her daughter. No amount of money can buy her an exorcism. You see, this mother, she is utterly hopeless. And this is probably one of parents' greatest fears, to watch their child suffer and be unable to do anything about it. And not only that, this is also some of Christian parents' greatest fears. This is a picture of it. For one's child to remain spiritually dead. To be walking under the sway of the evil one. To be following the world and listening to the teachings of demons. To love the world and hate God. 
And so this mother, she is desperate, and what does she do? It says that she went to Jesus. Now, why does she go to Jesus? The verse says, immediately after hearing about him, she came and fell at his feet. So she comes, she falls before him, begging for him to heal, and the reason is because she heard about Jesus. She heard about the, his authority over demons and disease. She heard about his compassion, his care, his selflessness to serve, his power to heal. And not only did she hear, but she made, she believed and she made a beeline to Jesus. It says that at once, immediately, she came to him. Y'all don't miss this. This woman, she believed after hearing. You see, she didn't know that she needed Jesus until after she heard about Jesus. But when she heard about Jesus, she believed in him and went to him. Now, one may be wondering, preacher, what are you trying to say? Well, I would say this is a clear illustration of the truth that's stated in Romans chapter 10, verse 17, that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. You see, this woman heard and she believed and she went. Now, we don't know who shared. But we know the result of what being, we know the result of the truth being shared, that this woman went to Jesus. And beloved, this should lead us to think about our own evangelism. Are we evangelizing? You see, the reality is we have more to say about Jesus than the people in this passage. You see, we could talk about his incarnation, how he's the son of God who became man. His crucifixion, how he bore our sin on the cross and died. And how he resurrected from the grave and the salvation that he offers for all who turn from sin and trust in Jesus. You see, people need to hear about Jesus. Just as this woman needed to hear about Jesus. They need him whether they know it or not. And the reality is, beloved, God can use our evangelism to result in people coming to Jesus with faith. Just as this woman who heard, believed, and went to him. Matthew chapter 15 makes it known that she will cry out that he is the son of David. You see, she believed. She believed after she heard. So, beloved, may this encourage us in our evangelism sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and praying with confidence that God will use it to save people. Look at verse 26. It says, The woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she was asking him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Mark emphasizes this woman's heritage, that she is a Gentile. She is from Phoenicia. And this part of Phoenicia, it belonged to the jurisdiction of Syria. And so she is a Gentile by birth and by culture. And the thing is important is that she is not an ethnic Jew. And the thing is, if you weren't an ethnic Jew, then you were considered a Gentile. And this is a very big deal. Because Jews don't mess with Gentiles. They consider Gentiles to be unclean. And yet we see this woman at Jesus' feet. You see, once again, Jesus, he is defying the tradition of the elders. He's in a Gentile region. He's approached by a Gentile woman. 
You see, according to the traditions, Jews wouldn't associate with or interact with Gentiles. They don't kick it. They ain't hanging out. They wouldn't touch a Gentile with a 10-foot pole. Wouldn't even be Facebook friends with a Gentile. And Peter gets at this in Acts chapter 10, verse 28. When Peter, he is at Cornelius' crib, he says this, you know it's forbidden for a Jewish man to associate with or visit a foreigner. But God has showed me that I must not call any person impure or unclean. You see, what Peter was getting at, that first part, that wasn't according to Scripture, but it was according to tradition. No law actually forbade Jews from interacting with Gentiles. And earlier, the last thing we saw was that Jesus actually taught the people that the source of defilement is the heart, not food. He's also getting at the fact that it's not people either. You see, this mother, she crosses cultural lines. She begged Jesus to heal her baby girl. And in verse 26, it says she was asking him to cast a demon out of her daughter. You see, the Greek word, that verb asking, is in the imperfect tense, meaning she repeatedly and persistently begged and urged Jesus to heal her daughter. Now let's look how Jesus responded. Look at verse 27. He said to her, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Wow. Whoa, whoa, whoa. What a strange response from Jesus. It sounds like Jesus just said no. And it's crazy, if we've been studying the Gospel of Mark, we've seen Jesus normally respond favorably to people's requests. But here, at least in this moment, he says no. Now, one may be wondering, like, man, it doesn't sound like Jesus is for everybody. If he is, why does he respond this way? Before we get into that, like, one of our questions, like, seeing that the first part sounds like a rejection, the question for us is, man, have you felt that way? Have you felt like you've experienced that? Where you were pleading and praying for the Lord to save, for the Lord to intervene, or for the Lord to heal. And it feels like your prayers have been rejected. Where at the same time, you see God answer other people's prayers. And even the same prayers that you have prayed. You see, such feelings can, you see that such feelings can result in discouragement or even questioning Jesus. And beloved, if you haven't been there, I encourage you, like, man, you just might be there one day. And if you have been there, I would say it's important for us to remember that in those times, we must remember who Jesus is. That he is God in human flesh. We must remember that he always does what is good that he never does wrong. We must also remember that he never ignores the prayers of his people. His ear is always towards him and that he is a compassionate savior. We must also remember that he is not obligated to answer our prayers according to the way that we're asking or in the timing that we prefer. And even though those things are true, 
may that not discourage us from praying. May we persist in prayer and going to him, casting our cares, and ultimately desiring for his will to be done because we can trust him because of who he is and because of what he has done for us in Christ. You see, Jesus, he says, let the children be fed first because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. Now, one may wonder, why did Jesus respond this way? You see, this is not the first time Jesus encounters a parent who is interceding for their child. This isn't the first time that Jesus has, in, has been approached by a woman. But this is the first time that Jesus is willingly approached by a Gentile. Now, one may be wondering, now, is Jesus discriminating? Is he discriminating against the woman because she is a Gentile? And if so, is Jesus really for everybody? Well, beloved, let's take a deeper look at Jesus' response, and let's unpack it. He says, let the children be fed first, because it isn't right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. You see, Jesus, his initial refusal is given in a parable about a family meal. He says, let them be fed first because these there were bread and this bread was purposely given for the children. But notice what he said. He says, let the children be fed first or let them be satisfied first. He doesn't say let them be fed only. But first, what he's implying here is that the dogs are, they are important and that they will eat, but not before the children. He says that they won't take the, he won't take the children's bread from the children and give it to the dogs. Now, one may wonder, did Jesus just insult this woman? This is why I would say context is very important because he didn't insult her. You see, dogs in this context is not a reference to stray dogs, but house dogs, like pets. You know, like my in-laws, they have this big golden doodle named Gus, and he just, he stays in the house all the time, and, and like they really love Gus. You see, these, these, these pets were those who they endeared, who they loved. And what Jesus is doing here is that he is actually communicating the prioritization of his mission and ministry to Jews first and then to the Gentiles. Now, one may wonder, so why, does, why is Jesus referring to the Jews as children and Gentiles as dogs? Well, in the Old Testament, Israel, they were God's covenant people. And they were referred to as children of God, God's children. Whereas Gentiles, they referred to as dogs because it indicates the accustomed distinction between Jew and Gentile. And it's likely that this woman would have understood this cultural reference. You see what Jesus is doing? He's communicating the prioritization of his ministry to the Jews. He says that, that the gospel must go to the Jews first. To them belongs covenants. They anticipated the coming of the Messiah. His ministry goes to them first, but it doesn't go to them only. It also goes to Gentiles. Scripture prophesies this. Isaiah chapter 49 verse 6 says, It is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. I will also make you a light for the nations, 
to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. You see, the gospel, it isn't exclusively for the Jews, but it must first be proclaimed among the Jews. Paul got at this in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then to the Greek. You see, Jesus is for everybody. He saves all kinds of people, Jew and Gentile, black, white, Asian, African, Hispanic, and more. He saves people in the burbs and people in the hood. He saves those who are in rural areas and those who are in the city. You see, in the new covenant, God will save people of all nations to where he will unite them to Christ and to one another where the church will consist of Jews and Gentiles. You see, Jesus, he places this parable before this mother. And let's look how this mother responds. Look at verse 28. He says, but she replied to him, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. You see, this mother, she wasn't offended. She wasn't insulted. She didn't feel slighted in the least bit. In fact, she was picking up what Jesus was putting down. She had ears to hear, and she persisted with a witty response. She's pretty much like, feed the children first. That's all good. But the thing is, the dogs will enjoy the overflowing crumbs under the table as they hit the floor. Now, the reality is, if you own a dog, then you know this to be true. At dinner time, the dogs, they're under the table, patiently waiting for something to fall off the table so that they can eat and enjoy. They will enjoy the crumbs as you're enjoying your meal, eating simultaneously at the very same time. You see this woman, this mother, she knows that the bread ain't for her. And she's like, we ain't even asking for bread. We'll enjoy the crumbs. You see, she sees her request as small as a crumb in comparison to the bread. She says, we want a crumb. We want crumbs of mercy. You see, this woman, she persisted. She didn't give up, but she persevered. You see, she believed that Jesus could heal and begged him to do that very thing. Look at Jesus' response, verses 29 and 30. It says, then he told her, because of this reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. When she went back to her home, she found her child lying on the bed, and the demon was gone. You see, Jesus, he recognized her humility and faith in her response. He commends her persistent faith and healed her daughter. He expels the demon after her response commands her to go home, assures her that the demon has left her daughter. And all of this is in response to this woman's faith and persistence. You see, Jesus responded to the faith of a Gentile. He responds to faith without distinction. We see this in Scripture, that salvation, it is not dependent upon one's blood or ethnic identity, but upon one's belief in Jesus Christ. You see, Jew and Gentile can be saved 
through faith in Jesus. The Lord Jesus doesn't reject any who come to him in faith, but he saves all who trust in him. Jesus says that the demon has left your daughter. He expelled it. And this is the first time in Mark's gospel where we see Jesus heal a person from afar. Did you notice? The child isn't with the mother. And what this does is that it reveals Jesus' identity. That he is God in human flesh. That he is omniscient and has sovereign power. And we can see this because Jesus didn't do a crime scene investigation. He didn't ask the mother for her child's age, height, weight, description. He didn't draw a picture. He didn't ask for an address or a location. But rather, he knew who she was and where she was, and he healed her from where he was. All of this testifies to the truth that Jesus is God. So the mother goes. She believes, she believes, takes Jesus at at his word. She goes home. And she finds the child without the demon, just as Jesus said, because Jesus doesn't lie. It is impossible for him to lie. You see, every word that Jesus has spoken, every promise that Jesus gives, every assurance that he offers, all of it is true. If he promises it, he will do it. If he assures it, it is certain. We can take him at his word because of who he is. And this, her response should always be our response to every promise that Jesus has made. Every word that Jesus says, we should take it at his word and believe. You see, beloved, this should lead us to study the scriptures and see what has God promised. We should study the scriptures and see what does Jesus assure. And we shouldn't doubt it. We should believe it and hold fast to it knowing that he who promised is faithful. Every word that he says is true. Every promise he makes will come to pass. Every assurance that he gives is certain. So, beloved, may we not doubt, but may we believe. May we take Jesus at his word, just as this woman has taken Jesus at his word. Before we go on to the next scene, there's one thing in particular that this scene kind of shows us. It shows us Persistent intercessory prayer. Did you guys catch it? This mom begged Jesus to expel the demon from her daughter. She persisted on behalf of her daughter. And beloved, do we do the same? We should certainly follow the example of this woman where we are persistently going before the Lord on behalf of others. Specifically, in the area of praying for people's salvation. You see, beloved, do you persistently pray for family members to be saved? Friends who don't know Christ? Are you praying for co-workers and neighbors? Are you persisting, persistently interceding on their behalf, begging the Lord to save? Parents, may this lead us to persistently pray for the salvation of our children whether they're young or old. May we persist in this. May we not lose hope, but continue to hold on believing and trusting and praying in faith. J.C. Ryle, 
An Anglican bishop, he would say this about this verse. He says, let us pray more for our sons and daughters, even when they will not let us speak to them about religion. They cannot prevent us speaking for them to God. May this lead us to persistence in faith and prayer. You see, this mother's persistence, it reminds me of Augustine's mother. You see, Augustine, he was a church father, an African bishop in Hippo, and his mom, his mother, Monica, she prayed daily for his salvation. Year after year, she saw her son remain in unbelief, but she persistently interceded for the salvation of his soul. And eventually, by God's grace, she saw her prayers answered. She saw her son place his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. May we follow that example. Beloved, are you persisting in prayer and interceding for the loss? Have you been discouraged? Are you tempted to give up because you haven't seen God answer this prayer? Let me exhort you to not lose heart. Keep praying in faith. For as long as there is breath in their lungs, there is hope for their salvation. We can, the Lord can save them. And so keep praying. Now, I want us to be clear that I'm not promoting any type of prosperity. In a sense that if we persist in prayer, then God will save. The thing is that God doesn't promise that. But we should still persist and trust God. Trust that his will will be done and he will answer our prayers according to his will and his purpose. So may we persist. May we trust. May we intercede and may we pray. You see, in this section, we've seen Jesus commend persistent faith. And now we will see Jesus cure the incurable. Look at verse 31. Again, leaving the region of Tyre, he went by way of Sidon to the Sea of Galilee through the region of the Decapolis. And so Jesus, he's traveling again. He remains in Gentile territory, and he goes from Tyre to Sidon to the Decapolis. And the thing about him being in the Decapolis is that he is known there. Because back in chapter 5, when he healed the demoniac, he told the demoniac to go and proclaim to people what the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And this demoniac, he went throughout the Decapolis proclaiming what Jesus has done for him. And so Jesus is known there. Look at verse 32. It says, They brought to him a deaf man who had difficulty speaking and begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. You see a group of people, just they, they brought to Jesus a man who was deaf. A man who can't hear a sound, who can't hear a word, but he also has difficulty speaking. This man is practically mute. You see, due to his condition, communication has been stifled. It is harder for him to give or receive any type of communication. Life is more difficult for this man. Doctors can't help him. His condition isn't fatal, but it is incurable. And look what they did. It says they brought this man to Jesus. 
You see, this group of people, they knew this man's condition. They bore this man's burden. They had compassion upon this man, and they brought him to Jesus. They begged and urged Jesus to lay hands on him. You see, they believed that Jesus' touch would make a world of difference. You see, with their hands, they can bring him to Jesus, but they can't heal him. But they believed that with Jesus' hand, he could heal him. You see, they believed that Jesus can do what they couldn't. And they noticed, and this is true because Jesus has authority to heal because Jesus is God in human flesh. You see, they brought him to Jesus. And beloved, do we do the same for one another? Do we bear one another's burdens in this way? Are we interceding for one another like this? You see, this man, he wasn't left alone. And neither should we be in our suffering. You see, how do we respond when members suffer? We should respond with compassion. Bearing our members' burdens. We should be interceding for them, praying for the Lord to heal, to comfort, to strengthen, to help. And not only praying, but we should have an eagerness to serve just as this group of people did. You see, we should have this response towards all members who are suffering, whether it's disease or discouragement or death in a family. Beloved, I would say pray for us to have this type of response because this doesn't come natural. You see, what's natural for us being fallen people in these sinful bodies is to only be concerned about ourselves or to only care about our friends. To be willing to do this for people who we know really well, but reluctant to do it for members we don't know that well. Beloved, the Lord has united us to be his people. He has made us one people to where we should bear one another's burdens. The scripture says about the church, if one member suffers, then everyone suffers. The scripture says that we should weep with those who weep and that we should bear one another's burdens. So NBC, may we live that out here. Caring well for one another, bearing one another's burdens, having an eagerness to serve, and be diligent and persistent in interceding for our members. May we do this. Look at verse 33. It says, so he took him away from the crowd in private. After putting his fingers in the man's ears and spitting, he touched his tongue. You see, Jesus, he had a private interaction with this man. He desires a personal relationship. He ministers up close. He shows his care and his willingness to heal by putting his finger in the man's ears and by spitting and touching this man's tongue. Look what happened. Verse 34, looking up to heaven, he sighed deeply and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, his tongue was loosened, and he began to speak clearly. And so Jesus, he touches him, speaks in Aramaic, and commanded the man to be opened. And this man is healed instantly. In a moment, in an instant, everything changed for this man. His ears were open. He went from hearing nothing to hearing everything. 
He went from watching lips but hearing nothing to watching lips and hearing words. You see, he went from silence to sounds. He heard the wind, the breeze of the wind. He heard words and whispers, screams and shouts. But not only that, it says that his tongue was loosened. The Greek word for loosened here, it speaks as if his tongue was imprisoned but has now been set free. You see, this man, he speaks clearly and freely. It's no longer difficult for him. He can, can, he can get his words out without, without any type of difficulty at all. You see, this man has been healed by Jesus. Jesus cures the incurable. And he can do this because of who he is. No doctor can do this, but the Son of God can. And look what he does next. Verse 36, he ordered them to tell no one, but the more he ordered them, the more they proclaimed it. You see, he ordered silence in order to prevent, prevent some false messianic expectations. And like other times, when he ordered people to be silent, they just kept on speaking. They rebelled. And look what they said. Verse 37, they were extremely astonished and said, he has done everything well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You see this crowd, they witnessed his power and they were blown away. They marveled. They said, he makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. See, that phrase, making the deaf hear and the mute speak, it should remind us of this morning's scripture reading because it's stated in Isaiah chapter 35. It's a messianic prophecy about the Messiah's ministry and what he will do. Verse 35 and 36 of Isaiah 35 says this, Then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame will leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. For water will gush in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And Jesus is fulfilling this prophecy. You see, he is the messianic king who fulfills these prophecies, who fulfills the prophecy among Jews and Gentiles. In chapter 2 of Mark, we saw Jesus heal a man who was lame, a man who couldn't walk. He told him to get up, take up your mat, and go home. And the man did it. Well, here in this passage, Gentiles witness Jesus unstop deaf ears and make the mute man speak. All of this testifies to the truth that Jesus is the Messiah, that he is the Christ. But it also testifies that Gentiles will be a part of the redeemed of the Lord who will come to Zion with singing as stated at the end of Isaiah chapter 35. You see, they say that he has done everything well. Y'all don't miss this. They witnessed his works, and they said that it is really good. They saw it, and they concluded this. Just as in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31, when God finished his work of creation, he looked at it, and he saw that it was really good indeed. Well, here these Gentiles, they witness Jesus' works and they say that his work of redemption is really good indeed. 
And the reality is Jesus' work of redemption is really good. He is the servant king who ushers in the kingdom. He redeems and brings about restoration to everything that sin has ruined. You see, in this passage, he has dealt with the ramifications of sin. Demonic possession, deafness, and mute. But he came not to deal with symptoms, but he came to deal with sin itself. And he is the redeemer. And he brought about redemption through his death on the cross, where he bore God's wrath against sin, shedding his blood for the forgiveness of those who have placed his trust, their trust in him. And three days later, he resurrected from the grave, and he saves all who would believe. You see, we who are in Christ, we can affirm what the Gentiles just said, that Jesus' work of redemption is really good. You see, he has made us new creations in Christ, and one day he will return and make all things new. You see, beloved, even in our suffering, we can say with confidence that Jesus' work of redemption is really good. But we can say this because of who he is and what he has done for us. You see, if you're not a Christian, I'm glad you're here. I want you to know that we love you, we're grateful, and there's nothing more that we want for you than to repent of your sins and trust in Jesus Christ and be saved. You see, one of the things I hope you notice in this passage is that Jesus served a number of people. Have you ever thought about the fact that Jesus is a servant? You see, he is God in the flesh. He is the messianic king. He is the suffering servant. He is the servant king. He would make known in Mark chapter 10 that he came not to be served, but to serve. And his greatest act of service was his substitutionary death on the cross for sinners. He said he came not to, serve, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. His greatest act of service was dying for sinners, that sinners may be redeemed, that sinners may be saved and reconciled to God. You see, friends, I want you to know that, man, you are in need of a great Savior because you are a great sinner. Your greatest problem is the fact that you've sinned against a holy and just God. And he will not clear the guilty. But he will forgive all who turn from their sin and place their trust in Jesus Christ. And so this day, I will implore you, I will urge you to turn from your sin and trust in Jesus. If you do so, you will be saved. If you want to talk more, Feel free to talk to any of the members after service. Our members would love to talk to you about the gospel. We'd love to talk to you about Jesus and pray with you and, and implore for you to turn from your sin and trust in him. And beloved, we who are in Christ, we can conclude like the Gentiles in this passage that Jesus does everything well. His work of redemption is unmatched. It is amazing. He has made us new creations, and one day he will return, and he will make all things new. So we will sing of his great work that day. We will say, all glory be to him, to the one who has redeemed us, who has ransomed us by his very own blood. 
praise, honor, adoration, glory, and might is due to him because of who he is and what he has done. Beloved, we are one day closer for that being our reality for all of eternity. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you that in your love, your kindness, your grace, you sent your son, just as you promised, to save us from our sins through his death on the cross. And God, we praise you that, yeah, Lord, that he has dealt with the disease. He has saved us, and one day he will come back, and all the effects of sin will be completely done away with. Lord, we will rejoice in his benevolent presence. We will give thanks to you and to the lamb who was slain. Father, help us to long for that day where our faith will become sight, where we will see the one who loved us and gave himself up for us. God, we pray that we will persevere, that we will trust him all of our days, knowing that we are one day closer and seeing that salvation is nearer today than when we first believed. Oh, Lord, may we hold on. We trust you. We praise you. It's in Jesus' name. Amen.